You're listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. This morning we continue our exposition of the book of Psalms. And so this morning we come to Psalm 30. Psalm 30, so I invite you to turn there with me. Comes on page 461 of our Pew Bibles. And we're still in book one of the Psalter. Psalms 1 through 41, these, this great book that focuses on the kingship of God. We'll see that. Those themes resonate throughout this Psalm. And let it be known that after today, we have completed 20% of the Psalter. Now, it's taken a little over three years to get there, and I'll let you do the math for the rest if we continue on through, which I doubt we will, but we are making some good progress. As we listen to uh, this psalm, I want to give us the structure before we do that, so you can have something in mind before we uh, just read it. And so briefly, it's just the first five verses, we see David praising God for deliverance that God has given him. And verses six through 10, he goes back and recounts the difficulty, this episode of difficulty that he's gone through and his crying out to the Lord what that was like. And then he comes back in the final two verses again to praise the Lord in light of what God has done. So with that in mind, let us now turn our attention to the reading of God's word. His authoritative, inspired and inerrant word for you and for me. So hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 30, a Psalm of David a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from shale. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pits. Sing praise to the Lord, O you, his saints. And give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, but his, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pits? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. My freshman year of college was going incredibly well. I'd moved seven hours from North Carolina across the Appalachian Mountains to Nashville, Tennessee, and loved the entire experience. I made friends from people all across the United States and the world even, learning new things, seeing what life was like in the city, having spent my whole life until that time in quasi-small town, North Carolina. 
I immediately found an incredible community and strong teaching through RUF, the campus ministry of the PCA. I found a wonderful church where I was built up. It was a year of growth and exploration and and wonder. One of those wonderful stories of a great first year. I may get my chronology slightly off here, but it wasn't long. I believe it wasn't long after I arrived back on campus for that spring semester. And I got a call from my dad. One of those calls you never want to get. He said, Jason, your mom needs to talk to you. She had ovarian cancer. The doctors estimated she had six months at most to live. There would be surgery to remove the mass and intense experimental chemotherapy would then begin. And so our family began that arduous journey that so many know. Scans and tests and treatments and hospital stays, uncertainty, and you become deeply aware of your own mortality. You realize how life is so fleeting. You begin grieving a loss that hasn't even yet occurred. And praise God, he drew me and I believe my whole family nearer to him through that time. About a year later, the doctors delivered unexpected news. Even six months after they had, six, six months further than they had given her to live, that the treatments had worked. The experimental treatments had eradicated the cancer. My mom was cancer-free and what joy there was, a joy that still resonates with all of us who walked through that day. And Psalm 30 just resonates in my heart with that experience. And it perfectly captures that experience that so many have of being on the brink of death and being called back to life. Because David here in Psalm 30 is recounting that very thing. He was on the brink of death. It was probably an illness of some kind. He was so sick and thought he would die. And maybe it's poetic hyperbole, but he's talking about an extremely dangerous and difficult personal affliction that he underwent. He talked about how the Lord delivered him from it. And yes, this is a personal reflection, but it's so much more than that, though. It brings our attention to the greater frame and view of God's wondrous salvation, rescuing us from true death and real damnation before a holy God. Because only in Christ can our mourning be turned into dancing. So this psalm calls us all to trust and praise him. Our roadmap for this morning as we look at this psalm will be two overarching points. And the first, we'll look at three stages of David's experience. And the second, we'll look at three applications. Could have had a third point with three more sub points, but I thought we'd spare us this morning. So first, three stages of David's experience, and then second, three applications. So let's look at David's experience as he unveils it for us here in Psalm 30. And the first stage was presumption. And so we're going to begin in the middle of the psalm, verses 6 and 7. David is presumptuous here. We read this, as for me, David said, I said, in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. So in this presumption, David began with prosperity. The Lord blessed him. He now looks in hindsight and realizes it was God who made his mountain strong. God who gave him great prosperity. In the midst of it, he said, I shall never 
be moved. And so in prosperity, he moves to this space, this place of presumption. Instead of seeing prosperity as God's gift, leads to leading to greater dependence upon God, he took God's blessing for granted. He thought that he was invincible, as strong as a, as a mountain, he said. He presumed upon God's provision. I shall never be moved. Famous last words. And this, of course, reminds us of, Psalm, of Proverbs 16, 18, where, where Solomon writes that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And this is the proud spirit that David had, wanting to take credit for what God did, saying, look at how wonderful I am. His talents or his successes, his, his riches, his fortune, his military victories, he was taking the credit for all of that. And that is why riches and wealth is such a dangerous thing, because it makes us think we are self-reliant. When we read the Lord's Prayer, it makes us think that prayer, Lord, give us today, this day, our daily bread. It renders that prayer irrelevant for many of us. I have money in the bank. I have a family. I have a house. I have a job. We're going to be fine. But whatever successes David and we had, David had and we have, they are all due to God's gifts. God gives us the talent. God gives us the material gifts. God gives us his providential blessings. God gives us health and strength. So maybe David was prominent, the king of Israel with more riches than anyone in the land. Maybe he did have more worldly possessions than anyone else. Maybe he thought he was a mountain that stood strong. But God brought to him a reminder that there's a, a, a playing field for all of us. We are all on the same playing field with regards to death. And so God brought David low. In this phase of presumption, God, God ended up bringing him to, dis, to destruction, as the proverb said, or to a fall. Pride goes before a fall and David fell hard. We see this in verse seven, the, the last line. You hid your face, I was dismayed. He felt the presence of God removed from him and he was dismayed. That carpet of self-reliance was pulled out from under him as God had a lesson here for David to humble him. So David began in this place of presumption and it moves now with God humbling him and turning it into a mourning, a sadness. So first, the first stage was presumption. Now we turn into mourning where there was physical illness, it seems like in verse two, where David speaks of being healed from an illness. It was near death, as we see in verse three. He said, you brought up my soul from shale. You restored me to life. He was on the brink of death. He was pleading in verse nine with God not to let him die. And in this place of intense illness, he feels like he's under the anger of the Lord, but with weeping and despair. He uses the word mourning and, and sackcloth the garments that you would put on when you were mourning, when you were sad, when you wanted everybody to know how you felt. Who God brought him low. And we see in this moment, this was a sudden sweeping providence of God. We know not what it was, but it brought him low and he felt distant from God. David had already walked away from a close fellowship with God. In his prosperity, 
He thought it was him. He was not walking with God. And now it became evidence in the midst of this trial, in this time of need. And so David did what he should have done in this moment, verses eight through 10. It walks through David crying out to God. David realizing all he has is from him. He needs God to support him. He needs God to strengthen him. He needs God to rescue him, to be his helper and to be merciful. So this time of mourning and sitting in the illness was a time of crying out to God. And so we come to the third phase, presumption to mourning and now to dancing. Verse 11, it says, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing because the Lord has answered his prayer. The Lord heard his cries and delivered him. He was drawn up from the point of death. God healed him. The difficulty ended up being, but for a moment, he says in verse five, as long only as a single night. So God has now given him favor for a lifetime. Joy now that the night is gone and now it is morning. God has given him to stop the weeping and the mourning and now to dance with joy. And now instead of the sackcloth that he put on, now he says in verse 12, you have clothed me with gladness. You have arrayed me with joy, knowing that you have delivered me. And this is beautiful language. Incredible language here that captures this moment of what it's like when we realize God hears our prayers, when God is active, God is working. And God, through medicine, through physicians, through all kinds of means, whether we understand them or not, he's healing us. He's making us recover from illness. He's bringing some back from the brink of death and giving them life. We don't always know why God permits suffering in our lives, but this is a wonderful, beautiful window into why God does it. In some cases, it's to humble us so that we're no longer presumptuous. We're no longer leaning upon our own works and our own righteousness and our own goodness and our own worldly possessions. Requires us all to look to him, to call out to him and to cry to him. We can't miss this in verse four. Because this isn't just merely an individual praise of, of David. Because he says, sing, sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his name. He's calling all of those in God's family to sing praises to God because he's reminding them all of what God has done for him. Others rejoice with him. He can't but share God's favor that he has received with others and to show them, look how gracious of a God we serve. Have you ever seen this pattern in your life? Have you ever seen the Lord bring you low to humble you and to raise you up for his glory that you would now have a new perspective on life? It's very common. It's happened probably to many, if not all of us in this room. And this leads us to our three applications. The three applications. And the first application is individual. It's when we read this naturally in our day and age, we're going to read this and say, this speaks of my experience, an experience that we've had in our own lives. And yes, we can use these words, use God's words to rejoice in situations like this. We must come back to God's word and, and speak God's word back to him. This gives us words. It fills us with joy. It helps us understand our situation and even articulate our own feelings. And so this is a wonderful blueprint for us in the midst of joy, 
of God's great deliverance, to sing praises to God. We must never be slow in praising God for what he has done. And individually, this is also a warning to not be presumptuous. All you have is from God and we trust in him, not in the good gifts he's given us, but we look to him, knowing whatever befalls, we have a faithful God. And all of us, Pastor Wright says week by week, none of us knows our time. Illness, sickness, have you ever been sick and when you've gotten better, you say, I'm so thankful. I'm never gonna forget that. I'm so thankful to God. And then we go day or two or three, a week later, and we are now presumptuous yet again. We forget how terrible it was to be in the pit of illness. The Lord has delivered us. And so this is a call for us to remember what God has done in the past, to walk not in presumption, but to walk in thankfulness for how God has delivered us over and over, to see the working of God in our lives and to treasure that and to rejoice in that and to give thanks to God for that. But Psalm 30 is not a promise of healing now. We all don't have a a morning of gladness guaranteed to us in this life. We all do have stories of God's faithfulness. We all do have portions of our life, events in our life where we can sing Psalm 30 in response, but this is not a promise that whatever you're going through, your physical hardship, your sickness, your illness, is not a promise that in this life, it will be relieved. It will be healed. It's a call for us to look back to what God has done, to remember them. We must write down what God has done for us, to share it with friends, to share it with our spouse, to share it with our church, to cultivate thankfulness and dependence upon God, whether we're in the good times or the bad times. God is the one who takes us through the valleys and God is with us every moment through them. So there's much individual application we can draw from this and and much more, but I want to move on to the second primary application of this psalm. And it's corporate, it's corporate. We experience something like this as God's people. Israel in the Old Testament did, did they not? They went through the season of wandering in the wilderness. They went the season of, of difficulty because of their own presumption, their own sin against God. But what did God do? God delivered his people out of it. God brought them to the promised land. God gave them a place that is theirs. He eradicated all the enemies from the promised land. He gave them judges and eventually kings. And he gave them even a temple to show to them his covenant promises day by day. So we see in the superscription of this psalm, David says, or it says it's a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. This is interesting and scholars will debate what precisely that means because the word here for temple in Hebrew is one that can have a range of meanings. It can be the temple, but we all know that David didn't build the temple. It was his son, Solomon, that God allowed to build the temple. Maybe it's speaking of a part of the temple, maybe an altar that David built and dedicated to God. But the word could also have a broader meaning and it can just mean a house. So maybe this is David dedicating his own palace to God. It can even have a more uh, symbolic meaning where it can speak of a dynasty. So maybe David is, is, is dedicating his whole dynasty, his whole house that God has promised in 2 Samuel 7. He's, prom- he's dedicating all of that to the Lord. 
We don't know exactly what it means, but we do see David as the representative of Israel, as the king of Israel, now rejoicing for all of Israel because of what God has done for them. And even though he's speaking first of his own experience, he's seen God's faithfulness to his, his people over and over, generation after generation. God is providing for his people. And that is not tr- that, that has not come, that has not stopped being true here in the New Testament. Now, after Christ has come in the church, Christ has promised that it will be preserved until the end. God's witness on this earth will not be eradicated. Now, it doesn't mean this congregation will preserve until the end of all time. We strive to be faithful today, our Redeemer Church, to lay a groundwork for many generations of Christians to come. But God in his providence raises up new congregations and he brings down others as he sees fit. Just in 2022, in our own presbytery, one church closed and another was raised up. In God's providence, our, our mother church closed, Faith Presbyterian in Akron. And it's no, not a defeat, but we see in God's providence that this is what should take place. But at the same time, God allowed a new church to arise, our daughter church. Christ Pres in Kent has now been established as an official mission church of the PCA. And so we see the Lord continuing to be faithful over time. The Lord is still working today. The Lord will not allow the church to be destroyed. Though there are times that the church as a whole on earth is more and less faithful, times where it is more and less pure, times where it is more and less visible to the world, but no matter what, it will not and cannot be eradicated because Christ has promised. His Holy Spirit is preserving. And so we can sing this, this psalm as God's faithfulness to his church. We can experience great joy because through the trials and tribulations of Christians of ages past, God has given us life today. We can know that any persecution, any corruption of the church is only but for a moment. The difficulties for Christ's church may tarry for the night, but joy will come in the morning. The joy of the faithfulness of God's people. So corporately, we are being preserved by Christ. And that brings us to the third application. The third application that is cosmic in scope. Where there is now a new hope in Jesus Christ. Oh, was it not foretold that there would be a Messiah who would be like that morning light of which David speaks, bringing joy in the morning? You probably read it at some point through the past Christmas season, Isaiah 9-2. And Matthew quotes this in his gospel as well, saying this is about Christ. And Isaiah's writing in a, in a, in a past tense, but it's really a future prophecy. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. He's speaking of the coming of the Messiah. There's darkness, but when the Messiah comes, great light will shine to all of the earth. And John in his gospel again confirms this. Describes Jesus as light coming into the world. And of course, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The morning light of Jesus 
Christ. So this transforms our understanding of Psalm 30 from just speaking merely about suffering and health into true spiritual death and now true eternal life in Jesus Christ. The Christian, one who's awakened to the light of Christ now has great joy because yes, we've had weeping apart from Christ. We've had difficulties before we knew him. Now there is joy unceasing for the Christian. We have been rescued from sin and from death. And so the rejoicing of which David speaks of here, all of it is what should characterize the Christian. When we put our, even now our sufferings, our hardships, and our difficulties of this life in the proper eternal context. We now live in the joy of the morning. The weeping, being dead in our sin is gone, but we now have joy in Christ. Some of you may have done a read the Bible in a year program in 2022. And I'd encourage you, and we're now at the beginning of a new year, to, to discipline yourself. To read God's word. Maybe it is read the Bible in a year program. Maybe it's reading a, 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 a chapter a day or, or reading a, a paragraph and not just reading God's word just for the sake of ticking off a box, but for the sake of knowing God, communing with him, for enjoying him. Meditate on God's word. Think on it. Leading, allow it to lead you into prayer and to wonder. But if you just finished reading the Bible in the last year, you just read in the last day or two, Revelation 22. And that brings the hope, not of Christ's just first coming, but of Christ's second coming into a clear focal point in Psalm 30. So there's a sense in which the promises of Psalm 30 are already here and the joy is already here, but there's also a reality in which Psalm 30 speaks of a not yet of a future moment, a future morning. And and Jesus says in Revelation 22, verse 16, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. And the image is this. Maybe while the light has dawned at Christ's first coming, the bright morning comes to completion in his return. It is then that the not yet realities of our salvation come to full realization. And it is then that we will completely comprehend the reasons for joy and gladness that we even have today. We will see Christ in his glory and we will have an utterly profound sense that he has clothed me with gladness. There's a gladness on that final day that we we will never have experienced before. That my joy may sing his praise and not be silent we will give thanks to him forever, as David said to conclude his psalm. So we look for the resurrection. We await that morning where Christ will return. It was a blessed five years after being given that clean bill of health that my mother's cancer returned. So one slow year later, it led to her final death. It's been about eight years now, but what do we do with Psalm 30 in light of that death? The rejoicing that we had at one point in time, now there's death. Without hope beyond the grave, I think we might as well tear Psalm 30 out of our Bibles. Because Paul is right. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, we are of the most pitiable people in the world. We are wasting our time. And Psalm 30 points us beyond the grave 
to the glory of Christ, to Christ's return. Because Christ's resurrection from the grave, we look forward to the dawning of the eternal morning, where indeed every tear will be wiped away. In this light, Psalm 30 sounds an awfully lot like what Paul wrote, as we read earlier in 2 Corinthians. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension or comparison. It sounds a lot like weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. What a great hope we have. Yes, weeping continues for a time. Suffering continues for a time, but joy comes with the morning and Christ returns. So Christian, take heart. The morning is coming. Your travails are difficult now, but they will end. Christ is coming. As we continue through Revelation 22, it's a beautiful continuation of this point because there's an invitation now to join in this joy. The next verse in Revelation 22, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Come to this Jesus. Come to the one who is the light of the world. Come to the one who will return and wipe every tear from your eye. It's a gracious offer that he makes. That every sin will be forgiven. His righteousness becomes yours and you will experience gladness for eternity in his presence. Come to him. Receive him and rest upon him alone for salvation. No longer be presumptuous. No longer think you're so great because you're not. You are dead in sin apart from Christ. So you must look to him. And if Psalm 30 isn't enough for us to await the coming savior, we can conclude with these words from Christ from the end of Revelation 22. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come. Lord Jesus. Let us look to him in prayer. Our great father in heaven, we are thankful that though we walk through the valley of tears, joy comes in the morning. We thank you, O father, that you are preserving us, that you will turn our mourning into dancing, that our sackcloth will be turned into gladness. We thank you that your favor is for eternity. And so, Father, as we rejoice now in this hope that is ours, that we are awaiting, we pray that you would draw us with eager anticipation to look for the return of Christ, that we would even hasten it, that we would find comfort in it. Lord, what great promises you have given us in Christ. May we cling to it and now be changed people in this world to glorify you every day. Bless us, O Lord. Through 2023 and beyond, may you be glorified in our lives. In Christ's blessed name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.